0: the clowns on the left and
1: the jokers on the right
0: and join michael Smirkanish right here in the middle
1: this is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds
2: i'm eager to chat with cc moore who is a dna detective really the best known of the the dna detective such a pioneer in that field and I'll do that with her in just a moment's time. She's not involved. I don't think she's involved in the Idaho quadruple murder, but she certainly understands the parameters of using uh, genetics to solve crime. And the reason that I'm eager to chat with her is that law enforcement's not saying specifically when the suspect is going to, having waived extradition, be sent from Pennsylvania back to Idaho, but it's imminent. I think the judge said it's got to take place within 10 days. I know as a practical matter, they are usually eager to send somebody wherever they're going to face trial sooner rather than later. They just don't want to reveal it until that person has arrived to their destination. Then, then we're going to find out more about this case. Because you might remember from a press conference that was held at the end of last week, we learned that Idaho state law, it limits. What information authorities can release before this guy makes an initial appearance in an Idaho court, the probable cause affidavit and the probable cause affidavit is what details the factual basis for him being charged. That is sealed until the suspect is physically back in the county where he'll face charges and has been served with an arrest warrant. So the steps are he's waived extradition. He'll be sent from Pennsylvania back to Idaho. And that then is going to open the door for the release of more public information about the basis of the charges. What do we know? We think we know that it was a combination of the car, the Hyundai Elantra and DNA that led to his arrest. From CNN's reporting, there is this genetic genealogy techniques were used to connect, I'm trying not to say his name, this guy to unidentified DNA evidence, another source with knowledge of the case tells CNN. DNA was run through a public database to find potential family member matches, and subsequent investigative work by law enforcement led to him as the suspect. When I discussed this subject yesterday, a number of you called and you expressed concerns about uh, the way in which information goes from you seeking information about your roots or your medical background to being handed over for law enforcement purposes. And I said, let me get Cece Moore back on the program because she's the she's the one who understands how this all works.
1: This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM.
2: are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit BuyAToyota.com. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations on multiple systems on delivering your product or service, Processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish.
0: VR training platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
1: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
1: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app.
2: CeCe is an investigative, genetic, genealogist, and media consultant She's been a core production member as full-time genetic genealogist of the PBS TV documentary Finding Your Roots. I assume you've seen that with Henry Louis Gates Jr. Also as a producer for uh, uh, one of the seasons of that show. She's the founder of DNA Detectives with an online following of over 130,000 people. She joined forces with Parabon. Nana Labs in May of 2018 to create and lead their genetic genealogy service for law enforcement, boasting the unparalleled record of over 100 successful identifications in the first 22 months alone. This is CC Moore. CC, thank you so much for coming back to the program. Am I right you're you're not formally involved in the Idaho case?
3: You're absolutely right. If I was, I wouldn't be able to be commenting on it at all because the court has imposed a gag order. So somebody else did the genetic genealogy on this case, probably the FBI. I'm just talking about it as somebody who knows how this works.
2: Perfect. Okay. Well, in the abstract, from the sidelines, looking at what is in the public domain, what does it seem to you went on here? Is it like I described that that there was blood found on the scene. It didn't match the four people who were murdered. Goes Somehow they, they searched databases, and maybe it's because a brother, sister's, cousin's, nephew once went looking for their own roots?
3: Yeah, we don't know exactly what they had to work with or exactly what they did because it hasn't been officially confirmed. But it has been reported that investigative genetic genealogy was used. So either he got hurt himself when he was stabbing these individuals, which is very common, and there might have been blood, or he could have left behind uh, his DNA under the fingernails of one of the victims. He could have left touch DNA or even hair at the scene. And so you would think as a student of criminology, he would have realized that it's virtually impossible to perpetrate this type of violent, intimate crime without leaving your DNA behind. Now, he might have thought, well, I'm not in the law enforcement databases, because he'd never been convicted or charged with a violent crime. But he should have known that as soon as they don't get that hit in their law enforcement databases, they don't get that one-to-one match, they can move to investigative genetic genealogy. In order to do that, they have to send that crime scene DNA to a private lab, because none of the crime labs have the capability to create the profile we need that's compatible for this work. So they would have sent it to a private lab, probably it was rushed and they got it back fairly quickly and they got that list of matches. So one thing I have to make really clear that's being widely reported erroneously is they couldn't have used Ancestry DNA or 23andMe, the two largest databases. Those companies have both barred law enforcement from using their databases and they have vowed to fight any law enforcement efforts to get into those databases. So a lot of people think if they're in there, their DNA is being used for these purposes. It is not. It's possible that at some point, law enforcement could try to fight that, but it would take much longer than this period of time that we've seen since this crime was committed, just I think about seven weeks. So very likely, they used the only two databases that we are allowed to use for investigative genetic genealogy, GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA. All of those individuals have been notified that law enforcement is using the database and they've had the opportunity to opt in or opt out. So it's not true that law enforcement is using people's DNA without their knowledge or consent, unless you're the violent criminal.
2: How widespread is the mapping? I hope I'm going to say this in a way that will make sense to you, a DNA detective. How widespread is the mapping that is available to GEDmatch or Family Tree?
3: Mm hmm. Well, you're rarely going to get close relatives, and that's just statistics. There's only about 2 million people that we can compare against in those databases that are opted into this law enforcement matching pool. So probably they were working with second cousins if they were lucky, but more likely third, fourth, fifth cousins and beyond. So you're building those family trees back to the 1800s, sometimes 1700s, trying to find that common ancestor or that connection with the unknown suspect. Probably this took a lot of work, a lot of late nights or all nights tree building. It was probably the FBI investigative genetic genealogy team that was doing this work We owe them a huge debt of gratitude because I suspect this was not an easy case based on this suspect's family tree. He happens to have a lot of immigrant ancestry in the last few generations. And that means there would be less representation in these databases. These databases have a lot of people with primarily Northwest European ancestry that goes way back in the United States So when you get someone who has more recent immigrant ancestry, you typically don't get as robust matches. Now, that said, there's also a misconception we have one match that solves the case, and that's not true. You're working with often a dozen matches, two dozen matches. You're looking for those commonalities, those common ancestors between those matches, and then you can piece that suspect's family tree back together, little by little, you reverse engineer their identity basically by who they're sharing DNA with and who those people's ancestors are.
2: I almost forgot how good you are. Damn. It is so, it is so refreshing to have CC Moore back on the program. So disabuse me of a couple of other things. It's not as if they got a, They got something from a fingernail. They got a hair. They got blood. They simply called Jedmatch or family tree. And it's like, shebang, here's your guy. He lives in Pocono, Pennsylvania. Exactly. It's not that. Instead, yeah. there's like, well, here's something in a family tree that may be three or four steps removed from whomever you're looking for.
3: Right. I've seen some reporting where they said, oh, they uploaded the unknown DNA to this database and a family tree popped out. Oh, how I wish that were true, Michael. It doesn't work that way because there's very little information about those people who share DNA with the suspect. And they may only share one percent of their DNA, which means that they probably share great, great grandparents. We all have 16 great-great-grandparents. You don't know which one is the connection to that suspect. And so there's a lot of work that goes into reconstructing that unknown person's family tree. It doesn't just pop out at you. And even the identities of the matches is often hard to discern because you can put whatever you want in there. You can use an alias. You can call yourself Butterfly45. And we have to figure out who you are, who your parents are and build your family tree. And so it is a lot of work, a lot of work in public resources. We're not using private resources. You know, I'm, if it's me doing the work, I only can access things that everyone else can access. There's a lot of information out there about people though. I find things on social media. I use people search databases. I'm using newspaper archives, obituaries. And so it, probably took a lot of work, right? If This family tree for the suspect did not pop out at them once they uploaded to GEDmatch. That was just the beginning.
2: Another of my dopey questions, when you get an initial hit from GEDmatch or family tree, is it expressed in percentage terms as in the person you're looking for shares X percent of their DNA with this sample?
3: Close, but no. It is expressed in centimorgans, which is the unit of measurement of how much DNA is shared between two people. Now, you can figure out the percentage very easily from that. You just divide it by what the total genome centimorgan is, which is about 3,600 centimorgans. So, for instance, if there was a first cousin in the database, you would share about 850 centimorgans, which is about 12.5% of your DNA. If you're a third cousin, you might only share seventy centimorgans, or about one percent. And so it's, you know, it's an easy calculation. But the only company or database that uses percentages is 23andMe. And of course, as I said, we're not using them for law enforcement cases. Okay.
2: Well, let me go. Let me go back to that, Cece. Why isn't it as simple as here's a DNA specimen? Law enforcement gets a subpoena. They go to Ancestry or 23andMe. And they say, give us whatever you've got that matches this.
3: Well, those companies are both valued over a billion dollars. They have deep pockets. They don't want to be involved with law enforcement. Their databases are for other purposes, genealogy and health. And so they would fight any effort like that from law enforcement. I actually approached both of those companies' managements back in 2011 and 12 asked if they were willing to work on this type of case to allow crime scene DNA into their databases. And they said, absolutely not. They quickly schooled me on why that was not something that they wanted to do. It wasn't part of their business plan. They have investors. They, you know, 23andMe is public now. They want to protect the integrity of their database and protect the privacy of their customers. And that is something they have vowed to do. So I'm not saying law enforcement could never accomplish that, but it would be a long haul. I really doubt that they were able to do anything like that in the seven weeks that we've seen since this murder occurred, these murders occurred. So uh, it's just not in line with what they want to do. And so that means anyone who's tested there can be assured that at this point, at least, their DNA has not been used in these cases, for criminal investigations unless they downloaded their raw data and uploaded it to GEDmatch and or Family Tree DNA and opted into the law enforcement matching.
2: I'm so glad that you said that because yesterday there were callers who expressed concern as to whether they would subjected themselves to law enforcement databases. And I said that if I could get CeCe Moore back on the program, I would ask that question. So thank you for clearing it up. Understanding yeah. that Ancestry and 23andMe don't play ball with law enforcement. Nevertheless, how extensive is the mapping of either of those databases of our society? Is there a way that you can express that?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. So there are about 40 million people that have taken direct-to-consumer DNA tests. Most of those are in Ancestry and 23andMe. So if I'm working with an adoptee, for instance, who doesn't know who their biological parents are, I can very quickly, in 95% plus of those cases, identify those biological parents by getting their DNA into Ancestry DNA and 23 andme me in some cases often ancestry dna is enough and so we are able to identify almost anybody or anybody's biological family if we can compare against that huge pool of 40 million people but of course in these law enforcement investigations we can't do that so it is much more challenging right, but, it takes but a see, much greater see, see, to
2: the, the point is through those 40 million you get a window to the 340 million who are in this country.
3: Absolutely, especially those people with primarily Northwest European ancestry with deep roots in the U.S., as I said. If someone is an immigrant or their family is recent immigrants, it's going to be much more difficult to identify them. But we still could do it. It'll just take more time, more skill to do so.
2: And finally, and and thank you for being so gracious with your time, you made reference earlier to the Idaho suspect and the fact that, you know, he's earning a Ph.D. studying criminology. You'd think that much Mm -hmm. of what CeCe Moore has just described for my audience would be known to him.
3: You would think. I agree. I mean, I'm amazed he thought he could get away with this. There's no way that any student of forensic science and criminology is not aware of the power of investigative genetic genealogy. I don't know how he thought he would not be identified. Even if he dressed up like Dexter, you can't stab four people that many times and be assured that you're not going to cut yourself and leave your DNA behind or that someone's going to fight you and get your DNA under their fingernails or some other way. And so it was just assured that he would be identified once he left that DNA behind at the crime scene.
2: And then the Hyundai Elantra becomes the cherry on top of the cake because law enforcement obviously can search those databases.
3: Yeah, and we don't know what happened here. It's also possible they looked at everybody who had that type of car in the area and then built their family trees to see if they would connect to the matches. Occasionally it works that way where law enforcement will give me persons of interest that they haven't been able to rule out, and I can build those trees and see who fits. So there's both ways you can do this. You can start with nothing and just the DNA and work through the trees, or you can start with persons of interest, and that is usually quicker because then you can see do they fit with this population group or not. It would have been quite clear that he had a lot of Italian ancestry, some German, some Irish. So if I'm building someone's family tree and they're Puerto Rican, we can rule them out immediately. And that's really the power of investigative genetic genealogy that I think gets lost on a lot of people is we can very quickly rule out the vast majority of the population from ever being under suspicion of one of these violent crimes because it's very obvious what we're looking for very quickly. We know what specific population groups, we know what someone's family tree should look like, who their cousins are. And so it's really amazing how quickly we can keep innocent people from being under suspicion.
2: Right, and that's, that is, I mean, half the battle is let's go find the bad guy, but as you just point out, we're also eliminating people who otherwise could be unjustly charged. CC Moore, excellent. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you. I really appreciate you.
3: Happy New Year. Thank you for having me
2: back. CeCe Moore, ladies and gentlemen, the DNA detective.
1: This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM.
2: Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. with NetSuite. Now through April fifteenth, NetSuite is offering a one of a kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash smirconish. NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. As a professional welder, Shana Ford uses Forge
0: FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
3: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app.
2: I feel like we just learned so much. I have to go back and listen to it on tape and make sure that I can comprehend everything she just shared. Can I say one other thing? This is a a good example of how I use my podcast. Every day, Dan releases something from this show as a daily podcast. And CeCe Moore was so data intensive with what she just uncorked for us about the differences between 23andMe and Ancestry versus GEDmatch and Family Tree. It's the kind of thing I know you're going to whisper down the lane and want to tell your friends and family what you just learned about what the DNA detective had to say about the Idaho case. Because I, for one, want to go back and listen to everything she just had to say to me. It was too much for me to comprehend it at once. Aaron, you're in Montana. I understand you've got a theory about the Idaho killing. I'd like to hear it. Go. Hey, thanks, Michael. Um, Yeah, it was a great uh, uh, segment there with CeCe. But, you know, what she mentioned is that she is very surprised that somebody with this guy's knowledge would think that he could get away with it and what i'm thinking is that this guy possibly knows that there's no way he's getting away with it and this is part of his sick fantasy to play everything out the way it's playing out have the news coverage have all of his his photos on the air and all over the uh the 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 television and and this is just part of his sick fantasy all the way up to the time that he gets executed just a theory. I don't know. But you'd think with this guy knowing everything that he knows. Yeah, he she, she knows said she said you could be Dexter. And, and if you kill four people in a bloody scene, you're, you know, you're leaving something behind. What I keep – thank you, Aaron. What I keep thinking about in this case, what I keep coming back to, father that I am, is the car ride. The old man flies from Pennsylvania out there to drive back with the son – and the school is, what What did I say? His school is, I, I think, 10 miles away from the school where the murders were. How does that not become the car ride conversation? Well, You know, by hour two, aren't you already talking about, holy crap, that quadruple murder that happened 10 miles away? What do you make of that? They had to talk about it they had to talk about it on the car ride home. And like, what was that conversation like? And what did the son say to the father? That's, Among the things that I really want to know about the case, and I will stay focused on this, I promise. We're soon going to know a lot more when the Affidavit of Probable Cause is released.
1: Hear more of Michael Smirkanish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.
0: Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east, or anytime on the SXM app.
1: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.
0: Michael Smirkanish for Independent Minds.